Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, I am Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic also based in Orange County, and I also use she, her pronouns. So today we're going to be talking to my mom, Valaine Spotville. She is a native Californian. She is a special education teacher and has taught learning disabled preschool students for seven years and then was able to transition to the job of her dreams and teach deaf and hard of hearing program at the Pomona Unified School District for the past 24 years. After 31 years in the same district, she'll be retiring this June. She's been married for 12 years, and between her husband, they have four grown children, including me, one granddaughter, and two great-grandchildren. Uh, she enjoys doing puzzles, collecting bumblebees, but her, and her favorite thing is dancing. Hi, Mom. How you doing? Hi, hon. I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. So let's get into the questions. So we mentioned that, you know, four children, um, male, female, what's the spread there? Okay, so uh, Stephen, in his first marriage, had uh, two girls, uh, Latasha and Adriana, and a boy, Stevie. And then, of course, I have you, Taylor. So, um, and then uh, Tasha's daughter, Marley, has um, Xavier and Aliyah Rose. So those are the two great grandchildren. So uh, Taylor asked you to come on our show today to uh, share a birth story with us. Which birth story uh, are you going to share with us today? Well, I think just the journey um, of my failed, so to speak, failed pregnancies and then Taylor's birth, um, they kind of just are one long line type of situation. So they kind of flow into each other. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us about, you know, your journey and what you went through to to get to parenthood and, and what that was like? Certainly. Um, so with my first marriage, we were married for, let's see, five years and then decided, well, actually four years about, and, you know, thought we weren't, weren't going to try, but we weren't going to, you know, not try. And um, so it was one day and I was at work I, at that time I was teaching at drill team at La Havre High School where my uh, ex-husband was the band director and I started feeling very very uh, sick um, no just nauseous and just feeling awful and so they ran me over to emergency and found out that um, I had a tubal pregnancy and so they rushed me in um, to the hospital and did the uh, procedure and luckily I was able to keep both my ovaries and my tubes and everything which was great but they said that it's good that I got in and in because if I'd waited any longer um, probably one of my ovaries might have burst. So that's, I'm very thankful for that. So obviously that was a disappointment. Um, and then 
about, oh, I don't know, a few months later, um, we had sold our house in Whittier and we were living with my parents while a house was being built in Rancho Cucamonga. Um, and I, um, you know, was going along and um, I thought I might be pregnant maybe, but one night I got up to use the restroom and I passed, I know it sounds gross, but I passed a huge blood clot into the toilet. So we didn't know for sure, you know, what this possibly could be. So we went ahead and fished it out and took it with us to um, the doctor and they did an ultrasound and um, and she said, yeah, you, you miscarried. Um, the one thing that really, really stands out for me at that time was that, you know, this was, like I said, around 1986, 87, um, I had to be in the room by myself and uh, the nurse was very cold. And when she did the ultrasound, she goes, yep, the sack is empty. And it was very hard. And it, it just, it took me back a little bit. I get a little bit emotional now thinking about how callous it sounded. Um, I don't know if she meant for that to be that way, but it just really hit me hard. So they went ahead and they did a DNC. Um, but then uh, in 87, around summertime, um, I had missed my period for a month. We are now living in Cucamonga. And um, so we went to the, we were in an HMO. We went to the nearest, uh, you know, facility and went ahead and they took me back and they did the urine test and it said I was pregnant. And so naturally I was just overjoyed over the moon. And so, and the funny thing about this was that, so I ran out to tell uh, George and he of course was ecstatic. And when we went to go make an appointment for the prenatal care, they they go, okay, well, we can see you in about two months. And it was like, what, what? So we explained about my uh, tubal pregnancy, my topic, and about my miscarriage. And we say, no, no, this is super important. You know, let's, we need to, and they, they were able to, you know, jimmy around the schedule and I was able to get in. And I just did the prenatal care with the vitamins and everything. And then in February, Taylor was born, but she was not supposed to be born till March. She was due March 19th of 1988, and she came February 19th. And she weighed four pounds, 10 ounces. Um, so that was a surprise, but obviously totally healthy. They sent me home the next day, which was a shock to me because she was so little. But, you know, so, yeah, that that's that's my story. <laughs> now, you've told me some pretty exciting things about the actual night of my birth. So let's, uh, let's hear about that fun adventure. We, um, like I said, we were living in Rancho Cucamonga. And at that time, because we were near the foothills, the winds were horrendous, horrendous winds. And it happened to be a very, very windy um, night. The night before she was born, on the uh, seventh or on the eighteenth, I had just finished painting her nursery, 
and I was up and down on a ladder. And I truly think that that just stimulated enough that she decided she wanted to come early. So in the morning around three o'clock, I woke up, you know, thinking I still had a month to go and woke up and I had, you know, bad back pains. And I woke up, George, and I said, God, my back is just killing me. And it hurts so much. And um, so uh, he and I said, and the pain comes from the, my back and it comes around the sides to the front. And I said, that's just the weirdest feeling. So he calls the doctor and they said, you're in labor. And I was like, no, I'm not. I can't be in labor. I'm not due yet. But uh, they said, no, you need to come in. And um, so, and we went to a doctor's hospital in Montclair. Um, and so we get there and she said, oh, yeah, you're going to be having a baby. You know, and I, my, I lost my plug at the hospital and I'm in the little, you know, cubicle toilet area and all of a sudden the lights go out. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? And I was just going, it was, and it was pitch black. And I said, this is just great. And I think it was just the wind had knocked down, you know, some power sources. So um, luckily they had the hospital head generators. So they, you know, get, got the lights back on. And so I was, I would say in hard labor from about three in the morning till about six when she was born. And they, you know, I, I did not have any epidural or any kind of medication. I was determined to have a, a natural birth. And um, we, the doctor came in and said, okay, it's time to push. And one push and she was out. Oh, was, wow. Yeah. It was like, you know, the labor was terrible, but I had it pretty, pretty good for not having a long time of having to push and everything. So it happened so fast. Oh, wow. That's such, oh, with the power going out and everything, I can only imagine just like being in a hospital and like in labor. Oh, <laughs> it was like Taylor said, it was memorable for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I know you said you really were determined to have a natural labor. Did you have to um, sort of advocate for yourself? Did you have to kind of fight for that? Because I know, you know, even nowadays, we we often have to really speak up to get our voices heard in the delivery room. But I know, you know, a couple decades ago, it, even more so, it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, I actually, I did not have to do any advocating. Um, it was pretty much, I was just too scared to, to think about an epidural. And so I said, oh, no, no, you know, I'm going to do this. And um, they really, I, I did ask them, I said, um, are you going to give me an epidural? And they actually said, we can't, it's just too late. It, you're, you're too far into labor. It wouldn't even matter to do it. So it just, it all worked out beautifully. And the fact that she was so small made it that also that much easier, you know, obviously to give birth. But the only advocating we did was when we could not get our first doctor's appointment when I found out I was pregnant. That was important. I will say I am glad that they listened to you and they listened to your individual story and and helped work around that to give you the care that you needed, given your personal medical history. 
Yes, it, I I was just I actually kind of you know you you go through and you see on TV how you know babies are born as far as you know in sitcoms or whatever, and you just think oh it's just going to be all white picket fence and roses, and so when things when there's glitches, it kind of it took me for a loop. I obviously was pretty naive about being this my first birth, but um, it it just it it went so fast. I think that's just the, I think the whole pregnancy, just everything just flew by so quickly. And I don't know how it is you know for other women, but wow, it was fast. Now, did you do any sort of classes during your pregnancy, like Lamaze or anything like that? Yes, yeah, we did do the Lamaze class, um, and th that was really helpful because it did help me with, you know, uh, a rhythmic kind of breathing and how to obviously get through the um, labor pains. Um, they did allow us to bring a radio in to the, and we didn't, I never had to go into an operating room. Um, it was just like a delivery room and I was just right there and so I was able to have some music going which was really nice and I had my focal point so um, the hospital was gracious enough to kind of allow us to make it as comfortable and relaxing as possible. Oh I love that that they were just like yeah sure play your music do do what you gotta do. That was nice. Now I have to ask what song was playing do you remember? I have to say, I think it was probably Wyndham Hill. Which that would make sense. Is, yep, yep. Very uh, smooth. Nowadays, I guess they call it smooth, or it's a, what do they call it, Taylor? It's um, spa music or like modern yeah, classical? Spa, yeah, spa music, yeah. There's another name for it, but yeah, that kind of zen type of music. Very peaceful and calming. Now, after the two miscarriages like did you have to did you tell anyone or was there any sort of like reaction to it did you like did you have to go through anything when it came to it were you able to go through any like sort of counseling did you have to um no i i do remember after the ectopic because that took i was in the hospital for a week because you know they had done invasive surgery. They only did a laparoscopy, which was nice, so I only had a small incision below my belly button, but still they had to go in, and so I was in the hospital for a week then, very, very sore. Um, and it just kind of was like, just, oh, okay, this happened. With the uh, miscarriage, I, I was really disappointed. I was sad, um, and luckily, you know, friends, family were very, very understanding, very sweet, very supportive. And I was just, I was also disappointed in the fact that both my sisters had two children, two uh, without any complications. And I was thinking, well, why would I have complications? So I was very surprised at that. Um, but I know everyone's body is different. Um, and then when you were born a month preemie, um, I, I felt I'm not going to even try anymore. I was happy with you, and I was just I'm too afraid to go for a second child. We wanted two, obviously, the perfect number, right? But I uh, was just too afraid with all the you know, history beforehand. So I just count my blessings right now that I have Tay. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
so mom have you noticed anything like different between the 80s and uh birth and the pregnancy process and modern time i think that um i was surprised at you know i'm thinking this was 1987 1988 you know modern times and yet when i had the miscarriage that um george could not be in the room with me um and you know with the dnc and um so i was surprised at that i thought why couldn't he be you know this isn't the 50s you know even the 60s my mom she i'm the youngest of four and i was born in 1960 and my mom you know told us that uh our dad was not ever allowed to be in the room when she was in labor and when she was delivering and i thought how odd that you know the father can be in there especially with the procedures such as a miscarriage or and the obviously the ectopic pregnancy was surgery surgery so he couldn't be in there for that but um I, i'm not sure how it's changed i think i really think that uh, uh pediatricians and OBGYNs, i think they're much more um well obviously i would say knowledgeable and there's new techniques, there's new ways to approach pregnancy, and I, I think they're more willing nowadays uh, to listen to the parents, listen to the mother, and try, you know, to fulfill her wishes throughout the, the pregnancy, you know, labor and delivery. Yeah, Taylor, I believe it was Dr. J that we were talking to. And he mentioned that his birth in, I think it was the early 70s, um, his dad was part of like a trial research thing that they were doing um, to allow the fathers into the delivery room. And it was, it was like a research study that they were doing. Yeah. Um, and that previously before that, they really didn't allow um, partners into the delivery room at all. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as far as today goes, um, it's actually quite common nowadays that the partner um, is allowed even into the operating room during um, C-sections. Yes. Um, and sometimes doulas and photographers are allowed as well to help as support for the birthing person. Um, that is not always the case. It depends on the hospital. It depends on... Um, the doctor who's doing the operation and things like that. Obviously, during COVID, um, right now, a lot of those things are not being allowed. Um, but in general, a lot of um, a lot of the hospitals and the doctors are opening up and becoming a lot more welcoming to meeting the emotional needs of the birthing person and not just their physical needs. Yeah, I agree. I um, I did want to mention that it was kind of funny that as soon as I found out I was pregnant with Taylor, I did not even wait to tell people. I was, you know, after having the two previous uh, situations, you know, I, I'm kind of surprised I didn't say, well, let's wait till I get through my third month, you know, my first trimester. Let's wait. But no, I was like, I'm pregnant. You know, so um, I'm very thankful that it, it didn't go well. But and then 
one other thing, and, and it's kind of off the track, but um, so after Taylor was born, even though as small as she was, um, they did do an episiotomy. And uh, then, you know, so they stitched me up and everything. And then I ended up having what's called a granulation, which um, where the side of the episiotomy, when it was healing, part of my, my tissue, my skin was growing out of it. So uh, I had to go in and, and have them cauterize and take that out. And I'll tell you, I was more scared of that than anything else. I mean, it went fine, but uh, I figured, yeah, why not have something else, something different or unique happening? But yeah, that. so I don't know how often or how common uh, granulations are, but yeah, so they had to do um, the cauterizing and everything with that. So nowadays um it's actually not common practice to do an episiotomy um unless it is like absolutely vitally necessary um so i i would go out on a limb and say the granulation probably is is much lower cases of that nowadays than you know a few decades ago but um yeah, definitely. We're seeing a lot less cases of forceps and vacuums being used, a lot less cases of episiotomy and and those types of intervention interventions um, in favor of C-sections instead. Okay. Uh, so uh, as far as so episiotomies, they just try not to do, but if they feel that there might be some tearing, then they go ahead and do that? Or... Um, no, they really, um, at, at least in my experience, they are kind of veering away from episiotomies. Um, I know, you know, neither of my children, I had them. I did have minor tearing with both of them. Um, I know several of the other people that we've had on the show to talk about their birth stories. I don't think any of them have shared stories about having an episiotomy, although a few of them did mention minor tearing and things like that. Um medically um it's it's actually really really rare for an episiotomy to be really necessary and i think if if they get to that point a, a lot of the doctors will see um that there's something going on beforehand and and sort of step in and push for a c-section before it gets to that point oh I think actually, you know, when I said that Taylor was so small, I, I really think that back then in the late 80s, they did the episiotomy regardless. Yeah, um, it used I, to be fairly routine. Right. And I, because I'm thinking I probably wasn't going to tear, but they just shoop, went ahead and did it. And um, so I appreciate the fact that nowadays that it's a less practice. That's really great. Did they ask you about it before they did it, Mom? No. Um, no, actually, I after you were born, you know, I'm lying there and, and everything, and then uh, I, was, I felt like they, they didn't have to um, numb me because my, from you having impression, you know, pressing on my nerves and everything, you know, I was numb, but I said, oh, what, what, what's going on? You know, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just stitching you up after an episiotomy. And I went, oh, okay. You know, so, yeah, they didn't say, oh, can we do it or we're going to. They just did it. 
it's probably one of those things like we've talked before about like trends in the medical field, whereas, you know, back then it was episiotomies. Now it's pushing for C-sections and um, it kind of comes with as new information comes. And then like also when it comes to insurance and um, like uh, malpractice insurance and all that kind of stuff, as you see these trends kind of uh, flow and ebb when it comes to how things are handled. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, the other thing to note is, um, so I read the statistic a while back, and it was something in the neighborhood of about 20 years or so ago. The rate at which we gained knowledge in the medical field, it would take um, about seven years to double the amount of knowledge. And now we're down to about every seven months or so, we're doubling wow. the amount of knowledge that we're gaining because we have so much more technology and we're we're able to find out so much more so our our wealth of information is doubling at a much more rapid pace than it was a decade two decades three decades ago mm-hmm. and and we're able to, you know, you see all of these changes happening in the medical field and we say, oh, you know, I wish it would happen faster. And and yes, we do. But also a lot of this information is new. We're seeing that, you know, maybe we didn't handle things the best <laughs> back then. So how can we do better moving forward? And, you know, sometimes it is trial and error. <laughs> um, a thought that just came to my mind um, when you were speaking, Elle, um, and Maybe I can ask you this question, how you felt. While I was pregnant, I I always had this sense of insecurity in the fact that I'm, I wish I, I didn't, I don't know how to say it. I didn't have, not ownership. I mean, I was thrilled to be pregnant. I, I did everything I was asked to do and that I was supposed to do. But I always felt just that I wasn't doing it right, if that makes any sense. And I don't know if that's a common feeling among pregnant women. Um, I I just felt that I, I I can't explain it. It was I was happy. Um, there was no you know depression during the time, but. I just felt like I wasn't, I didn't have a handle on, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like maybe this sort of ties in a little bit with uh, something we talked about when Amanda shared her birth story of when she got pregnant, she got pregnant so easily there was this guilt that came that was sort of associated with that of, I feel guilty because other people I know are trying to get pregnant and are having a hard time. And I feel like that's a really common thing um, in women who do have an easier pregnancy. I know I had a lot of nausea, but I didn't have morning sickness with either of my pregnancies. And so I kind of felt this guilt of like, you know, is, is this really how pregnancy goes if you're not struggling through it? And I think our society places a lot of expectations on pregnancy is supposed to be a struggle and birth is supposed to be a struggle. It's supposed to be a a physical thing that we have to endure. And I actually reject that narrative. Uh-huh. Um, 
we had Courtney come on and talk about her birth story and how she was laughing through her birth and had just this beautiful, lovely, joy-filled birth because she was told a very different narrative growing up, one that you don't have to suffer through pregnancy and birth and labor. And and she was able to fully accept that. And I, I think a lot of a lot of the struggles we have as birthing people come from the narrative that we're told of what it should, quote unquote, should look mm-hmm. like. And if our experience doesn't match up with that, we were we're expected to feel guilt or we we feel guilt around that. And I don't think we should. I agree. Our experience is uniquely our own. And and there's beauty in all of our journeys, regardless of how they start, how they end, or what that journey looks like. That's a, a really great way to to put it in great perspective. I uh I just always felt like I wasn't owning the pregnancy that I was going along. Maybe, maybe what it was is, okay, guilt. I don't think I appreciated the pregnancy as much as I thought should be. I loved it, but I, again, just having that whole, you know, um, what you see in the movies and stuff that just that, you know, experience or whatever. And I loved, loved, loved it. But I, I just felt um, that I I wasn't owning it like I should or appreciating it as much as I should. It could also be that you were maybe having a slight psychological disconnect because of the two first miscarriages that you might've been almost a little bit afraid to fully connect because of the risk of losing again of losing oh. um the baby again that's Good point that would be like a sub psychological you know we need to bring a psychologist on to delve into that kind of thing but that could be another explanation that's that's a really good point too i definitely agree with taylor on that is is when we have fear it keeps us from engaging in the present mm-hmm. very much yeah. yeah i just the first three months i did have morning sickness. I carried around salting crackers with me 24/7, and then it's, it's like the minute that third you know month went by, I was great, and uh, so I was appreciative of that. Um, and then I did go through some postpartum depression the first couple months, I'd say, and uh, and I didn't realize I was going through it until after the fact and looking back now I go oh okay that's what that was yeah I had postpartum depression after my second one was born and I did not realize that I was going through it until somebody else pointed it out to me and was like you are not yourself this is not your normal behavior Um, and I think that's something that a lot of women experience is it's really hard to name that in yourself because you don't you don't want to put a name to those feelings and you don't want to see that that's a pattern. And when you look back at it later, or somebody else calls attention to it. You're kind of forced to go, Oh, wow, you're right. But when you're, 
in it and you're dealing with it on the day-to-day basis, it's, it just feel you, there's so many emotions and they just feel so big. Yes. And it's hard to remember what anything was like outside of those feelings you're in. So it's hard to go, oh, this isn't normal for me. I used to feel differently. I don't normally feel like this. It just feels like this is it. This is the all-consuming, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, a lot of times we need that distance from either time or from somebody else to, to point it out. That's that is true. I um I also because she was born, you know, early and so little. I I was afraid. I was thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm I'm gonna do something wrong here. I just and obviously, th- no one knows what they're doing when they have their first child, and it is a, a minute by minute experience, you know. But I just was really thinking, oh my gosh, I, I, I need to do this. So I, I was just very afraid that I wasn't being a mother that I expected myself to be. Yeah. I mean, your first kid, yeah. Most of us don't have much of a clue of what we're doing. And, <laughs> and I had a background in babysitting and I was a nanny for a long time before I had kids. And once you have the kids, man, it's a whole other ball game, even if you have some experience in that field. And even your second kid, because here's the thing, your second kid is probably not going to be anything like your first kid, because that's what the world gives you. <laughs> True. true. I just, I'm very, very blessed and very thankful that Taylor truly, and I am not kidding you, was an easy, easy child. Um, I'm, because I, I'm a wimp about discipline and things like that. And she never gave me grief, really. So, Thanks, Tay. I really love you for that. Well, Ella, I've mentioned in previous podcasts the trying twos, and my mom is where I got that phrase from, the trying twos. Mm-hmm. And that really has to say on, on your outlook on my behavior. Like, I may have been, quote-unquote, a good kid, but you still looked at me as trying and not terrible. <laughs> well, okay. I'll, I'll give you that. Trying, but <laughs> definitely not terrible. Definitely. So... It's it's been a great ride, baby girl. I'll tell you that much. Thanks. <laughs> so, do you have any advice or tips for um, other people who might be going through a similar situation? I I would say really try to embrace all the moments, the positive ones, the negative ones, when you're feeling good, when you're not. Um, I think journaling is a, a really great idea. Um, in, you know, obviously to have supportive loved ones to talk to. Um, but, you know, just embrace it all and know that obviously not every day is going to be perfect. Not everything is always going to go smoothly, but it's not the end of the world. And the next day is a new day and you can. I know it sounds cliche, but you can start over and just enjoy it because, you know, obviously no one wants to have regrets and just to really just, 
I, I guess, enjoy the whole entire process because it's, it is so fun. It's a ride. Oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Anne of Green Gables. Tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it yet. <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. All right, so what is something you do to take care of yourself? Um, dance. You know me. I dance in the kitchen, dance in the living room. I just, it just makes me happy. Oh, I love that. That's one of the things I'm missing right now during COVID is I, I normally go swing dancing and I haven't been in <gasps> oh, <some> year. <laughs> yeah, I, I just could be in the driveway even. I, mean, I could be in the aisle of the grocery store. I hear music playing. I'm like, I can't help myself. I got to just boogie out. So <laughs> I do. I bears Taylor. I know I have. Hey, what are parents for? <laughs> True. So, Valine, can you share a success or a funny story from this week with us? Ah, from this week. Um, okay, success. Um, I have been working with you know children who are deaf and hard of hearing. I have a child who, when COVID came, and we started doing Zoom distance learning back in March of last year. He never attended anything because he's profoundly deaf and has some other stuff going on. And it, it really would not be beneficial for him. Um, but he, in the process, he turned six years old, which now he is no longer a preschool student. And mom was going to homeschool him. But then she, nev we, she never got into doing anything. So then I get told by my um, supervisor that he must be enrolled by law in a, a program, a school program. Well, after months and months and months, finally I was able to get a hold of the mom. Uh, we do have a good rapport, really good rapport, but she just wouldn't return my calls and such. And so success, finally the grandma called and we're getting him into a, a program and a class and it seriously it has been weighing on me so heavy so the minute she called me I cannot tell you the relief I felt so to me that was a huge success oh that's so wonderful I'm so glad that you care about your students even though you know he graduated and he wasn't in the preschool anymore that you guys are still reaching out and trying to take care of them to the best of your ability thank you i i love that kid i he's just they, he means the world to me and, and the family we, we've grown close and so i'm just so so happy that we're finally on the right track for him to get into a class oh that's so wonderful so one last thing before we go um where can everyone find you i have an instagram account under Belaine spotville and can you spell that for us V-E-L-A-N-E and Spotville, S-P-O-T-V-I-L-L-E. Perfect. And we'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. So if anyone wants to find you, they can find you and follow you and check out what's going on. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you so much for coming on the show with us today, Valaine. It was so special to have you on and to get to hear about Taylor's birth. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk with you all. All right. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.